Welcome to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. We are a weekly Columbus-centric podcast focusing on the civics, lifestyle, entertainment, and people of our city. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. This week, in anticipation of this fall's election, the Confluence Cast is endeavoring to introduce Columbus voters to the 12 council and two mayoral candidates in their own words. Mayor Andrew Ginther is ready for round three. After serving the city of Columbus from the top political position for the past eight years, he's running for four more. In today's interview, Ginther talks about police reform, housing development, zoning updates, and economic development. You can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Enjoy the interview. Sitting down here in person with Mayor Andrew Ginther. Mayor Ginther, how are you, sir? Doing great. Thanks for having me. Good. Tell us about how it's been. You're coming up on the end of two terms as mayor, running for your third. Uh, How has that office held you? You know, it's been one of the greatest honors of my life uh, to serve as mayor in the city I grew up in. Uh, There aren't too many folks that get to have their dream job in their hometown and Mm -hmm. Uh, have had an absolute uh, blast. Uh, I'd be lying to you if I told you the last four years have been any easy walk in the park. Global pandemic, uh, greatest racial reckoning on police community relations uh, in a generation, uh, and a spike in violence that cities across America have been facing. It has been challenging. Uh, in the last four years in particular, um, I've never quite had the personal and the professional intersect with such acuity as the last four years as well. So I've lost my mother, Hmm. my father, and my niece in a tragic car accident all during that same period of time. And so generally when your professional life's going well, personal life might be troubling or vice versa. This is the first time in my life where I've had both uh, be so challenging and difficult at the same time. So... um, I have been uh, very uh, grateful for my faith and my family to help me during a, an especially challenging time and uh, couldn't be more upbeat and optimistic about the future. Talk us through some of the successes you feel like you've had in either of the two terms. Well, I'm really proud of the fact uh, we have made more reforms and changes to the division of police than ever before in the city's history. We hired the first uh, chief of police from outside the division of police. We've been talking about a a civilian review board, an inspector general for decades in Columbus. We got it done. It's in place. It's in operation. Uh, And really proud of the fact that, you know, there's still a lot of work to be done when you're changing culture. It takes time. But the chief is making a significant uh, progress with changing the culture of the division of police, taking us from being a 20th century uh, law enforcement organization to a 21st century community policing organization. Uh, And I think you can see that in the great work of the dialogue team under the direction and guidance of uh, Dr. Uh, Clifford Stott, who's now uh, kind of in residence, if you will, at the Glenn College at Ohio State. He's one of the world's... uh, you know, leading experts on uh, dealing with First Amendment protest okay. issues and really helped us realize that that's not just about 
protests and First Amendment issues where we clearly uh, missed the mark and fell short in 2020 and have made significant changes and reforms there, but also just the way, uh, you know, true community policing uh, needs to happen. Uh, you know, so much of policing is that that consent is given by the governed and it is granted to them and it is based on legitimacy. Mm-hmm. So the more legitimacy the the division of police has, the safer we will all be. Uh, and so he's helping us to uh, continue to change the culture of the division of police while investing in more and more officers, that comprehensive approach, prevention, intervention, and enforcement that's so uh, critically important. Uh, we've can been I, able- sorry, can yeah. I just ask what that looks like on the ground? Because I've seen him quoted. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I don't quite recall when exactly he was announced, but I see him quoted, and his quotes are, this is evidence that this is needed. Yeah. And not so much, and maybe it's truncating because mm-hmm. of column inches, but not so much a conversation of here's what the outcome's going to be, here's what the boots on the ground look like, forgive that analogy. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, is there, you know, a, basically a policy stance that comes out of that? Well, I think, you know, what people are going to see, touch, and feel, you can get a sense of with our dialogue team, those teams in the uh, blue vests that, uh, particularly around First Amendment demonstrations and protests are on the scene, managing relationships uh, and making sure there's a good flow of communication for folks who may have dramatically different perspectives or takes on that person's uh, position, Mm -hmm. uh, but their ability uh, to safely and respectfully have their First Amendment rights uh, respected. Uh, That's, you know, that's a a clear indication. I think you also are going to see more and more uh, officers embracing the de-escalation model and approach. That's part of the reason we've so dramatically increased our alternative crisis response. So we now have firefighters and paramedics and social workers responding to calls for service, maybe with and without uniformed police officers. Because okay. depending on the situation, particularly if you're in mental health crisis or there's a, an overdose, uh, you know, having a uniform law enforcement officer may or may not be what is required. And so uh, the right response pilot has continued to grow. Obviously, our REACT team, Spark, there's so many other great alternative uh, response models that have really developed, and we're looking to continue to build those out. The Adam H. Crisis Center will open in the next two years, okay. uh, which will be really important because right now, if you are in mental health crisis or you overdose, our officers really have only two places to take you, to an ER mm-hmm. uh, or to jail. And people in mental health crisis or that are battling addiction don't belong either one of those places. They belong in treatment. Mm-hmm. And that's what uh, we're so excited about with the Adam H. Crisis Center. And so by building out these models, funding them, growing them, and expanding them, we think that we're going to better serve the people of Columbus. First of all, getting people what they need when they need it, mm-hmm. and also being able to devote more of our police response to fighting violent crime. Because uh, that's where our focus needs to be, reducing violent crime uh, and having other members of the collaborative effort helping to take care of folks in mental health crisis or their battling addiction. What other thing, other than policing and violence? And it's a big issue, right? Sure, but huge issue. I think it's the number on? one issue. And it's one that takes up the uh, overwhelming majority of the city budget. 
Uh, and we've seen some success. We had in 2022 a 33% reduction in homicide and violent crime from 2021. Uh, it's ticked up a little bit this year. We have about 10 more homicides as of today than we did a year ago. Uh, but one of the things that is particularly disturbing is the amount of homicides as a result of domestic violence situations. Okay. So this year, uh, I think we're at about 18 homicides as a result of domestic violence situations. So sometimes that's parent-child, sometimes it's independent partner uh, or uh, uh, husband-wife. But also this year, we've had issues with siblings. Hmm. Uh, And, you know, one of the things we're really focused on is how do we get I mean, that's not necessarily a situation the police can prevent or stop. Right. Uh, we need to make sure that families in crisis, and clearly we have a number of families in crisis, are getting the services and resources that they need. Uh, and that folks that are in a domestic violence situation um, are seeking out the help they need to try to prevent what has maybe a violent situation from becoming a deadly situation and access to guns and the proliferation of guns. And I know we're going to talk a little, you know, a little bit about that because I mean, you know, one of the number one contributors uh, to the spike in violence we've seen is the most reckless and, and, and careless uh, gun policy in the state's history. I mean, and this isn't just Andy Ginther's thought. This is the, overwhelming majority of Ohioans who oppose concealed carry, who oppose stand your ground, who oppose permitless carry. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, law enforcement, prosecutors, gun safety advocates, and all the research shows it isn't about right or left, Republican, Democrat. You go to the John Hopkins Public Health Law Journal and you look, the states with the highest rates of violent crime are the states with the most uh, reckless and dangerous gun laws. And so, you know, our challenge is this. The state legislature knows what it needs to do. 92% of Ohioans support some level of training, mm-hmm. you know, in order to own a firearm. You know, 75% support uniform background checks. Nearly 60% support an assault weapons ban. These are all things that Republicans, Democrats, Independents all support. And the legislature refuses to act on what we know is good policy based on evidence and research, then at least get out of our way and mm-hmm. let cities take the actions that we need to take uh, to protect the people, to protect our officers. We've had more officers assaulted and shot this year than in recent history. Uh, and, you know, we've got to go after this, you know, proliferation of guns that are out there on Columbus's streets and streets around the country. And from a policing standpoint, I realize what can happen there to help get rid of guns. I guess I wonder what actions you feel like, I think you just said your hands are tied, right? In terms of not being able to bring up legislation that would make it harder for folks to own guns. Are there action items you feel like you can take? Yeah, and and we're going to continue to be creative and innovative, and and we're not uh, we're not standing down. We're going to fight back, and right now we're in court, as you know, with mm-hmm. the state over common sense safe storage, requiring people if they have a firearm in the home that they lock it up and make sure it's out of the hands of 
but the state is fighting us on that, and we uh, have prevailed before, and we hope to prevail again in court. You know, just some comments at banning the capacity of large, you know, magazines, you know, so that we don't uh, have a semi-automatic become an automatic and, you know, have deadly situations where, you know, dozens and dozens of people are shot in 30 seconds or less uh, because of, uh, of large capacity magazines. So these are very common sense things that we're putting in, in place. Uh, attempting to do what the state legislature refuses to do mm-hmm. and quite honestly has attempted to preempt us on. But we're not accepting that. We're not standing back and hoping they're going to change their mind. We're going to keep pushing it. We're going to be aggressive. I'm going to pivot a little bit to the things that maybe you think that you haven't been as successful on uh, over the past eight years. What uh, regrets do you think you have there? Well, there are many regrets. I had mentioned, I think, uh, not meeting the community's expectations back in uh, 2020. Okay. In, in with respect to how we handled, uh, you know, peaceful protesters, we know there were also people that were doing property damage and assaulting police officers and assaulting others. I'm not talking about those. Okay. Uh, but you know how we handled, you know, folks who were peacefully protesting and demonstrating uh, and advocating uh, their First Amendment rights, and so you've seen a, a huge shift in the way that we handle large crowds and protests. Part of that is under the advice and guidance of Dr. Clifford Stoff that I mentioned that's at the Glenn College, uh, obviously complying and following the Marbley decision from Judge Marbley uh, and other changes that we made just based on best practices. And certainly uh, with our new chief of police who handled things uh, very differently uh, in, in her role when she was with uh, Detroit and, uh, you know, obviously wanted to see what best practices look like from across the country. Mm-hmm. I think one of the other things that I really had hoped to make more progress on, although I'm very proud of our record on housing, is having more partners in the region joining this effort. Uh, we've made some good progress. We have folks now in Franklin County and the adjacent counties talking about housing. We have, for the first time ever, secured a quarter of a billion dollars uh, in two separate uh, bond packages, voted authority to use capital funds towards affordable housing and, and getting more housing units going. Uh, but as you know, we've had a supply problem mm-hmm. for probably before the Great Recession. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've had about only half the number of units coming to market at all price points, right? Because we need market rate, we need workforce attainable, and we need uh, affordable. And Uh, We need to dramatically, I want us to double the number of units coming to market every year for the next 15 years and collectively invest a billion dollars in getting more units uh, to the market. Uh, Because we know that because of the supply problem, the folks that are feeling the squeeze the most with respect to rents uh, and certainly, uh, you know, valuations, price points and appraisals have been folks on the lower earning income levels. Mm -hmm. You know, those folks at, you know, 15 percent or 20 percent of a rent increase or increased valuation and uh, costs associated with that uh, is really squeezing those folks. So we need more of of everything uh, coming to market and creating that pipeline. One of the biggest pieces to that is also changing our zoning code. Mm -hmm. Uh, We're rewriting our zoning code for the first time in 70 years. Think about 
where Columbus was 70 years ago. Think about where we are today. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it's going to really uh, be challenging. There's a reason folks haven't rewritten this in 70 years. Uh, and we're going to have to increase density. We have to in, uh, embrace height uh, because we know those are the two major contributors to affordability. Um, I would argue that this region has had a sprawl strategy for the last 40 years. Uh, it hasn't necessarily served us well, and it's certainly not sustainable if we're going to grow by a third more uh, people in the region over the next 20 or 30 years. So um, we're making some progress there. I wish we were further along mm-hmm. uh, on the housing front, but I'm really hopeful that there is going to be a regional housing collaborative uh, because the city of Columbus can't solve the housing challenges of the region all by ourselves. Right. We need our suburban neighbors in Franklin County and the adjacent counties uh, to join us in this effort. I guess I'm curious. So just to boil down what mm-hmm. I just heard, it's partnerships, it's investment, and it's zoning, right? I guess my curiosity is and concern is at what point are we too late? Uh, at what point are we Austin? Mm-hmm. And like the, you know, ground is broken on mm-hmm. Intel. And mm-hmm. what is the, uh, is it coming far enough, quick enough mm-hmm. for us not to experience a real problem? So you just put it in perspective. I think there were about 12,000 um, housing units. We've been averaging about 12,000 housing units coming to market every year for the next, uh, over the last 10 or 15 years. Mm-hmm. Austin has 40,000. Uh, we need to double the number of units just to maintain the certain level of affordability that we have now. We had a problem before Intel. Yes. Got it. And my challenge has been, you know, as mayor for the, the last eight years, I feel like I've been talking about housing for eight years, but it was only until Intel and, and Honda and LG that uh, folks, I feel like, started talking about it and paying attention to mm-hmm. it and, 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 and realizing that we have to do something. I would argue that one of the things that um, is really, really good and important is the business community now views housing as a huge economic development issue. Because mm-hmm. if you're a major employer, an employer that's coming to central Ohio, and you want to attract the best and the brightest from around the country and the world, uh, they, they need some place to live and a place that they can afford in a neighborhood with amenities that they desire. And so housing has gone from something that some folks were interested in, maybe more in the nonprofit, higher ed, uh, planning development realms, Mm -hmm. to now CEOs and corporate leaders are saying, this is a threat to our economic future from a job development or economic development job creation standpoint, uh, if we don't have more housing of all types available, we just believe passionately that if you work in this region, you ought to be able to live here too. Whether you, you drive a bus, whether you run a company, whether you teach school, whether you're taking care of my mom and dad in a senior center, that there's a place for you in this community. And uh, we have a lot of work to do. Do you see the business community stepping up enough I do. There? I do. I think in particular, uh, Steve Steinauer at Huntington has been a very passionate a strong leader uh, in the housing effort. Uh, Kenny McDonald has been part of this regional housing. He's the uh, president and CEO of the Columbus Partnership. Mm-hmm. Uh, he's been working closely uh, with Lark Mallory, the Affordable Housing Trust, and other community partners around this regional housing collaborative. Uh, and so, you know, obviously we've got great advocates in this community. 
you know, uh, that are, you know, CEOs and business leaders, whether it's Tanny Crane or Gene Grody Abel or other uh, business leaders that are engaged in this work. So I'm hopeful. But to answer the question you asked earlier, I think we really, the next five to 10 years are going to be absolutely critical. Uh, and probably closer to five than 10. I mean, we have to move with a sense of urgency and purpose, uh, but also a resiliency, because this is, this is the challenge when you're rewriting zoning codes and making very difficult decisions that involve most people's largest investment in asset, right? right? Their homes. Uh, they're going to be setbacks. They're going to be challenges. Uh, there are a lot of people that have are going to have a very vested interest in keeping things the way they are. But that's not the way we want Columbus. We don't just want to be bigger. Yeah. We want to be better. And that means we're going to have to make difficult decisions around land use, around density, around height, around transit, you know, with the Link Us initiative that we're hoping to put back on the ballot. Uh, in the fall of uh, November 2024. It's going to be a game changer for our community. Um, we need to invest in ourselves now so that we can leave our kids and our grandkids the type of community that they're going to raise their kids in. In addition to the matters you've already brought up, um, talk to me about basically making the choice to run again uh, and what you hope to accomplish during that time. Yeah, I take this very seriously. And as we talked about, you know, the last couple of years in leadership, leadership has been very lonely in the last couple of years, probably not nearly as, as lonely as any other time in our city's history, some of the most challenging times. Uh, and so I spent, you know, some time with this uh, about a year or so ago. I really thought about it uh, because I think you got to be all in. Mm-hmm. When you're running for mayor, there may be other elected offices you can run for, but if you're running for mayor, you got to be all in and you got to be all in for the next four years. Uh, and so after, you know, I thought through it and made my decision, I went to my wife and daughter because uh, they've been through a lot, too, mm-hmm. in the last four years and uh, have seen some things that they've never seen before and uh, some challenges. And they've seen, you know, uh, their husband and their father go through some things that no other mayor has ever gone through Mm -hmm. and so talk with them uh, about their support for running for a third term so um i'm really excited i am really excited i've never been uh, more bullish and hopeful about columbus's future Uh, i believe that we are in a special moment in our city's history where if we make the right decisions they're going to be difficult they're going to be challenging. We're going to make mistakes. But if we make if we make a concerted effort and commitment to one another that we're going to do what's in the community's best interest and we're going to invest in our people and in our neighborhoods and a better quality of life, uh, we're on a pretty incredible trajectory uh, to, again, not just grow for the sake of growth, not just be bigger, mm-hmm. but better. And to manage a tremendous amount of growth in a relatively short period of time in a thoughtful, equitable, progressive way. Okay. Harkening back to the the focus areas that you had before uh, around policing, around guns, around gun violence, around violence in general, 
it, it strikes me a bit that you, I've seen a campaign from you before that was much more focused on neighborhoods and basically the good, the, the, uh, the investments and the personality of the city, uh, and now having to focus on policing violence, the, the more difficult and um, ch certainly challenging things, right? The positive and the negative. Um, I'm curious if, if you feel that way, if you feel like you've had to pivot in that way well when you're the mayor you have it all uh okay. on your plate uh and i still believe my uh, my top three priorities uh are neighborhoods 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 now okay. we're talking about we may have been talking about decades of uh disinvestment in neighborhoods that have been left out left behind of columbus's success store and i've been very purposeful and intentional about lifting those up, you know, Linden, the Hilltop and our next area of focus is going to be that Eastland area. Uh, and equity is not equality. Uh, and uh, there are some in our community that want everything to be, you know, split up evenly and let everybody do the best they can with what they have and, uh, and, and hope for the best. What I've called for, you know, through the equity agenda and opportunity rising is to be very purposeful and intentional. We're going to invest more in neighbors and neighborhoods that have been left out and left behind. Uh, and so uh, that isn't necessarily a value shared by everybody. Uh, I have been openly criticized for focusing so much on Linden and the Hilltop and the East Side and the South Side. Uh, and that's okay, you know, because mm -hmm. uh, I'm being very purposeful and intentional, and that's where I'm going to continue to invest. We're going to continue to provide great city services throughout our city. Uh, but you know, we're going to be very, uh, focused on these neighborhoods, uh, that quite honestly, uh, haven't shared in the same levels of economic success of the rest of the city. Now that extends to safety, right? So not only do you have the one Linden plan where public and private and everyone have invested at this point, $150 million. When you take a look at all the investments from the Linden community center redesign of Hudson Avenue, uh, the Habitat for Humanity Investments, Nationwide Children's Hospital, that extends to the south side. Envision Hilltop is a plan, and both of those plans were created by and driven by the neighborhoods because mm -hmm. uh, we thought it was critically important. We were coming up with neighborhood plans that they were owned by the community, that they weren't dropped in uh, you know, uh, out of City Hall uh, into different uh, diverse neighborhoods throughout the city. And Envision Hilltop has already you know, seeing the Hilltop Early Childhood Center that's going to offer, you know, 200 high quality preschool spots right there. One of the poorest enrolled uh, preschool areas of the city, uh, the fewest amount of spots available are over on the Hilltop. And, um, you know, to have that place open and now, you know, taking in kids and helping to get them ready for kindergarten at Highland at John Burroughs and other uh, elementary schools uh, on the Hilltop. Um, you know, we're really proud of that, and we're going to continue to invest in uh, neighborhoods as well as neighborhood safety, you know, to make sure that we're honoring our commitments. I end every interview with two questions, juxtaposing them. One, what do you think Columbus is doing well, and what do you think Columbus is doing not so well? I would still argue that Columbus is doing very well at our collaboration, cooperation, partnership. Uh, 
you know, I am, uh, you know, very engaged with the Central Ohio Mayors and City Managers Association, the Ohio Mayors Alliance, and the U.S. Conference of Mayors. And there are many mayors from around the country that are envious of our ability. Not only can we get the public sector and the private sector in the room, there are some communities around the country where you can't get the city and the county right. in the room, even if they're all the same party. And certainly not the city, the county, and the state. Uh, where possible, where they may be of different parties. And then you have the private sector and higher ed and nonprofits. I think there are a lot of places in the country uh, th- that talk to me all the time. And I know business leaders from around the country that come here all the time. And higher ed and nonprofit leaders that talk about this this collaboration, this commitment to the greater good on behalf of the community, which I think is going to serve us well. It served us well for economic development. It has served us well for neighborhood development. I think it's going to serve us exceptionally well with this great challenge around housing and transit in the years ahead. I would say the, the other challenge, because growth has happened relatively uh, minimally and um, consistently for the last 70 years. Okay. Uh, creating that sense of urgency has been challenging uh, because, as we said earlier, I think we do have this five to 10 year window. Mm-hmm. This is a critically important time and window to make some very difficult decisions. Uh, so, the time for study, analysis, looking around at best practice, it's time to do, it mm-hmm. is time to act. And uh, that isn't to say we're going to be perfect, uh, but the time for studying uh, and designing uh, and analysis uh, for the sake of paralysis is over. It's time to act. And that's the, the part where I think we need to make um, some strides in the next 12, 24, 36 months. That's fair. Mayor yeah. Genther, thank you for your time. Thanks for having me. Good to be with you. Thank you for listening to the Confluence Cast presented by Columbus Underground. Again, you can get more information on what we discussed today in the show notes for this episode at theconfluencecast.com. Please rate, subscribe, share this episode of the Confluence Cast with your friends, family, contacts, enemies, your favorite voter. If you're interested in sponsoring the Confluence Cast, get in touch with us. We can be reached by email at info at theconfluencecast.com. Our theme music was composed by Benji Robinson. Our producer is Philip Cogley. I'm your host, Tim Fulton. Have a great week. Mm-hmm.